not guilty. A family heartbroken and furious following the verdict for the mother accused of killing her little girl. Showing proof you have your shots. The app is really cool. I think I think people in BC will really in- endorse this. New details about how the vaccine card will work and where it will and won't be required. And back to school jitters for parents. There are absolutely concerns uh, about health and safety. Anxiety over BC's safety plan as kids head back to class next week. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with a stunning development in a new Westminster courtroom where a B.C. mother was found not guilty of first-degree murder in the death of her seven-year-old daughter. Jordan Armstrong has more on the decision and why the judge found the Crown failed to prove its case against Carrie Ann Lewis. Jordan. Sophie, anger and raw emotion, both inside and outside the courtroom, when the judge delivered her verdict. In fact, some observers had to be restrained by sheriffs. Talk to me. I understand. The little girl's father and his supporters too upset to speak on camera after his ex-wife, Carrie Ann Lewis, was found not guilty of the first-degree murder of seven-year-old Aaliyah Rosa. Her body found on the bathroom floor of Lewis's Langley apartment in July 2018. The Crown had argued that Lewis, who suffers from mental health issues and was estranged from the child's father, sedated Aaliyah and drowned her in the bathtub. Two drugs, both with sedative effects, were found in the little girl's body. The judge agreed Lewis gave Aaliyah the drugs and that she had been submerged in the tub, but she also found it was possible that a mix of the medication and a head injury could have caused the seven-year-old to fall into the bath. The judge rejected testimony from one Crown witness. Pathologist Dr. Lisa Steele conducted the autopsy, but the judge found she missed signs of a pre-existing brain condition. This was a case that relied on circumstantial evidence, and in the end, the judge ruled the Crown hadn't proved its theory beyond a reasonable doubt. Quote, this was a tragic incident. Only Miss Lewis knows what happened to Aaliyah. Carrie Ann Lewis had been in custody since 2018. She's now a free woman. No word yet if the Crown plans to appeal. Sophie? All right, Jordan Armstrong reporting in New Westminster. Jordan, thank you. RCMP are investigating the death of a four-year-old boy in Creston. Police received a report Monday that a boy was unresponsive at a campground just east of Creston. Officers arrived to find the boy in medical distress. They performed first aid, and the four-year-old was airlifted to Children's Hospital in Calgary, where he died yesterday. The family is from Manning, Alberta. They tell Global News the boy suffered a severe blow to the head. The major crime unit is investigating and asking any witnesses to contact the RCMP. Well, we are learning new details tonight about how B.C.'s vaccine passport will work. The proof of COVID-19 vaccination will be required for non-essential services such as restaurants and sporting events. Kamal Karamali has more on how it'll work and where it will be required. About a week and a half from now, entering a restaurant will look a little different. You'll have to do the same drill of wearing a mask, but restaurants like this one are asking you to have your vaccine certificate ready to present before you enter the restaurant. Hi, 
there. Welcome to Rogue. May I see a copy of your vaccination record? The app is really cool. BC Restaurant Association President Ian Tostenson met with Ministry of Health staff Friday and is revealing new details to Global News of how the vaccine certificate will be put into play. There's an app that the business community will use to scan uh, people's phones and or to scan a piece of paper. Tostenson says there'll be a provincial website that'll allow the public to download their vaccination record onto their phones. They'll have to show that along with a photo ID, like a driver's license. And that's it. It, it looks like it's going to work um, quick. What's more, fast food restaurants like McDonald's will also be required to ask customers for proof of vaccination if they're sitting indoors or even on a patio. But takeout or grab-and-go orders at any dining establishment will not require proof of the jab. So financial support is something we're asking for. Jeff Guignard with the Alliance of Beverage Licensees says if the province is going to ask for more from restaurants, it's got to be willing to dish out some help as well. Absolutely financial support. It costs us about $200 a day per establishment to have a person at the front checking your ID and your passport when you come in, right? That's $1,200 a week. Government financial support to also train and educate staff on implementing the new measures and hire more enforcement. Some concerns being raised on how teenage employees at fast food joints, for example, will be able to enforce the new rules. Back at Rogue, restaurant management is expecting most of their customers to comply. I'm actually hoping sales go up. But for those who don't, they're asking the BC government to penalize the patrons just as much as the businesses. And it would be great if there was fines for customers that matches a restaurant if they were to be unvaccinated. Sophie, these are the few dribs and drabs we've learned of so far with a highly anticipated press conference by the province set for Tuesday. Meanwhile, the B.C. Liberals today sent a very clear message to the NDP, released the details of this vaccine certificate plan now, not next week, so that businesses have more time to prepare. Back over to you. All right, thanks for that, Kamal Karamali, reporting in Vancouver for us. Now, here are the latest COVID-19 numbers for our province. We have 671 new cases, and our active case count is now more than 5,800. 215 people are in hospital, 118 of them in ICU. Three more people have died from complications of the virus, and 77.1% of those aged 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Keith Balbury joins us now with more on a breakdown of those who are still not vaccinated mm -hmm. in BC. I was surprised by some of these numbers, Keith. Yeah, I was surprised too, Sophie. We've been reporting for some time. We're over 700,000 people who have yet to get one dose. But when you break down the ages, it is surprising because older people run a far greater risk of getting a more severe outcome, hospitalizations, ICUs, or even dying from COVID-19. And there's a heck of a lot of people over the age of 60 who have yet to get one dose. Take a look at the numbers here. You see the age group there. People over the age of 60, 147,000 people have yet to get uh, first dose. Take a look at the health stats in the first three weeks weeks of August. That tells you 134 people in that age group were hospitalized. 23 people died. Uh, most of those were unvaccinated. Not all of them, but most of them. And then you can see the numbers as we correspond down uh, to different age groups. Again, the second age group, 40 to 60. Again, a high hospitalization number, uh, three deaths, and then relatively benign outcomes for younger people. But still, you look at that other young age group, 82 people went into hospital. So 706,000 people right now have yet to get one dose. I'll tell you, folks, if you're over the age of 60, 
60 and you haven't got a dose yet, you are playing Russian roulette, literally, with your body. COVID-19 can strike many people in such serious ways, and not even people over 60. We had a tragic case over here on Vancouver Island this week in Duncan. A 41-year-old single mom died of COVID-19 uh, before she was able to get vaccinated. So again, a lesson there of the dangers of COVID-19. 706,000 people uh, get your dose because you literally are risking your life if you don't uh, get that dose and ward off COVID-19. Yeah, definitely good advice and, and thoughts are with that woman's family. Thank you, Keith. Mm -hmm. Now with back to school just one long weekend away, a new survey finds the majority of BC parents want mandatory COVID-19 vaccines in the classrooms. Richard Zussman has more on the numbers and why it's unlikely the province will change its position. It's the hope of most BC parents. Back to school means vax to school. A very firm majority to say that vanity Mandatory vaccination is something they'd like to see in the school district. School starts for K-12 on Tuesday. There will be no requirement for vaccine to return to a school, but masking is mandatory for grades 4 and up. In a survey done by the Angus Reid Institute, parents in BC are hoping that changes. 58% want masks and vaccines required for students that are eligible. 12% only want vaccines, 19% only want masks. BC higher than the Canadian average where just 46% want required masks and vaccines. It goes up for teachers and other adults in the school system. 69% want masks and vaccines required. 12% only want vaccines. 8% only want masks. BC higher than the Canadian average, where just 54% of parents want required masks and vaccines for adults. When they do send their, their kids back to school, they really want to do everything possible to make sure that it's a safe environment. The BCTF pushing for everyone to get vaccinated and asking for the mask mandate to be expanded. There has not been a strong rationale given for why there isn't a mask mandate for kindergarten to grade three, especially given the highly transmissible Delta variant and especially given the information that we're getting from other jurisdictions. Overall, BC parents are worried their kids could get sick in the school system. 68% are very or moderately concerned 32% not that or at all concerned. Compare this to the Canadian average where 57% are very or moderately concerned and 43% not that or at all concerned. BC not adding to the policies from last year, even with the Delta variant now a major factor. Public health will has made a determination that, that what is appropriate for this school year, what makes sense for this school year is to maintain the same guidance that we had last year. One thing that will change Exposure notices. Parents will no longer get a letter from the school letting them know if a COVID case has been in their child's classroom. They are looking to shift to more of a communicable disease management of how notifications occur uh, occur this year, and that is that that's where uh, that's where we'll be shifting to in the school system. I am not happy with the response. I think parents need information to make informed choices. But even with concerns, parents happy kids are in the classroom. Nearly 90% saying they prefer in-person to virtual learning. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. New developments in the Stanley Park Coyotes situation. Fencing has now gone up as an added safety measure after at least 45 coyote attacks since December. But officials are taking things even further. Next on the news hour, details of the plan to cull the coyotes from the park. This is a crucial moment. New COVID-19 modeling data shows Canada could hit 15,000 cases a day. Why Canada's top doctor says we have a small window of opportunity right now to turn things around. 
That's later. Also ahead, who doesn't love a little retail therapy? The unexpected shopper who dropped into winners later. Right now, though, after more than 40 attacks on people in Stanley Park since December, the Ministry of Forest says it will start trapping and killing dozens of coyotes in the coming weeks. Neetu Garcha has more on the plan of attack in Vancouver's Crown Jewel and reaction from animal advocates. Fences around Stanley Park are part of a provincial plan to cull 35 coyotes over a two-week period amid a growing number of aggressive interactions between people and the highly food-conditioned human-habituated animals. We don't want to be in the same place uh, you know, next year or five years from now. So the educational component, um, to be honest, we've got to work with the humans that are coming to this park. Those humans will be restricted from accessing the park while the trapping takes place overnight between 7 p.m. and 9 a.m. daily in fenced-off areas. The location and number of traps will not be made public to prevent vandalism. Ten rangers will patrol the park nightly. But none of this will be effective in the long run, says Rebecca Bretter. Unless they're going to kill every single coyote in the park, which is almost impossible to do, it could actually increase the population because it makes the coyotes breed more or there will be other coyotes moving in. This animal lawyer is disappointed. The city, park board and province haven't investigated the root cause of the coyotes' unusual behavior, resulting in 45 attacks on people, including children, this year. Your garbage cans being opened, not enough signage around the park telling people that you're not allowed to feed wildlife, to having encampments in the park that are attracting coyotes in, and with that, there are dogs that are living in the park now, too, with dog food that's attracting coyotes. Yes, we, we will consider bylaw fines moving forward. Especially with the plan to call being made public the same day as a sheepdog's concert in Stanley Park. They know the current situation. Why on earth is there a concert? Bretter is urging officials at all levels not to kill the animals who call this park home because humans who want to use it aren't listening to the rules around feeding them and avoiding the area. Meanwhile, the province says the coyotes will be caught live and humanely euthanized. We cannot kill our way out of this situation. We need to coexist with wildlife. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Victoria police are appealing for information after one of their officers was attacked last night. The officer was on foot patrol in Vic West's Banfield Park at around 11.30 p.m. when police say he was violently attacked by a stranger. The male suspect is still at large. Investigators believe the injured officer spoke with a woman who appeared distraught before the attack. The female witness is described as a white woman, approximately 50 years old, with gray hair. Uh, the, the, the officer is actually quite thankful uh, and that uh, the injuries are, uh, they injuries that are non-life-threatening. However, potentially they could be life-altering injuries uh, and, and that, that, is a, that is a serious concern. The suspect who attacked the officer is described as a 40 to 50-year-old white man wearing a blue hooded sweater with white drawstrings. 
Saanich police are investigating after a man was seriously injured along the Galloping Goose Trail, a popular bike route. Sniffer dogs were brought in to support the investigation today. Police say they were called just before 3 this morning. A man was injured and in need of immediate medical attention. He was rushed to hospital in serious condition. The investigation shows the man was assaulted with a weapon. A major crime unit is investigating, including canvassing nearby homes. Police are asking anyone with surveillance or dash cam footage on the Trans-Canada Highway between Upton and Tillicum Road between 2 and 4 this morning to give them a call. Vancouver police are issuing a rare public warning about a man they say is involved in the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Police say Ronald Campbell was released from custody today. They warn anyone who associates with him faces an increased risk of violence. Campbell was arrested as part of a stolen vehicle traffic stop three weeks ago. At the same time, officers found a loaded handgun. Campbell has been released from custody with a number of court-imposed conditions. Up next, going home or what's left of it. Here we are trying to salvage what's left and uh, hopefully move on to uh, somewhere else. Evacuees from the White Rock Lake fire returned to their properties and faced the sad reality. And later, music festivals make a comeback. The big show planned for this weekend and the safety measures in place. Good evening and some good news here in Vancouver. Final clearing stages of a rollover crash. It was eastbound on Broadway at Waterloo. Want to be the ultimate content creator? Talk with expert photographers and creators at your local Henry's about the best gear for streaming, podcasting, and video content. Visit henrys.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above what's left of a crash in Vancouver. The hot fire season we've been living with all summer is showing signs of cooling. One by one, fires that disrupted lives and destroyed hundreds of homes and other structures are now being contained. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, residents are being allowed to go home to assess the damage. Fred Bednar knows it's futile. But he's rummaging through what's left of his Killiney Beach home anyway. Oh, this was a nice 30 by 30 garage, had an overhang on it. And all. Desperate to pull something of value out of the devastation. This is the first time he's been able to touch what he lost. He is still angry. He wants answers. This fire was uh, 80, 90 miles away from us in the beginning. You would like more transparency with what happened? That is exactly right. Transparency to what happened. The White Rock Lake fire sparked July 13th and destroyed homes and buildings in Monty Lake before turning towards Okanagan Lake, destroying properties along the west side. Crews were able to launch a furious counterattack on the fire earlier in the week with a controlled ignition that cut the fire's fuel source. For the first time in 53 days, the fire is considered to be held and evacuation orders have been rescinded. People can go home, some have nothing to go home to. We've got a lot of good memories from the place. We had a lot of company visit us, so that's all gone now. The returning residents will still have hurdles to face. The water isn't drinkable, the power's been out, and there will be natural hazards to negotiate. The fire will also continue to smolder. Crews will be mopping up hotspots for weeks to come. Um, we are kind of into the next phase of this fire where there will still be a significant suppression efforts uh, in the next few weeks here, but um, more on uh, securing where the wildfire is and not 
um, trying to stop its growth. The evacuation orders and alerts for the Mount Law fire near Kelowna have also been rescinded. But a reminder Friday, the danger isn't over. A new blaze spotted September 3rd near Apex Mountain in Penticton. Crews working to keep a lid on it before it spreads. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. We are learning more about a fatal crash Thursday morning on Cypress Bull Road. Two people were killed when their Jeep went off the road just before 4 Thursday morning. Police say three vehicles were traveling as a group down Cypress Bull Road. 20-year-old Dilpreet Sandhu is facing two counts of criminal negligence causing death. Police allege Sandhu was the driver of the vehicle that went off the road. They say one of the victims was celebrating his 20th birthday. This is a tragic event for so many people um, for obvious reasons. But again, that just adds to the, you know, the, the hardship that this has placed on family members and friends uh, in terms of this person losing their life while they were celebrating their 20th birthday. Police say speed and alcohol were factors in the crash. Sundu will appear in court September 8th. A Vancouver Island impaired driver who killed a pedestrian and then deliberately misled police has been sentenced to six years in prison. You know, I regret. I shouldn't have lied. Shouldn't have drove drunk, that's for sure. Ryan Grobe pleaded guilty to impaired driving causing the death of Spencer Alexander Moore. Grobe was highly intoxicated when he drove away from a local pub back in August of 2019 and struck Moore on Hearst Avenue in Parksville. When he learned his truck had been impounded after the deadly hit and run, Grobe told police that it had been stolen. Defense wanted up to four years plus a six-year driving prohibition. Crown lawyers asked for six years in prison followed by a 10-year driving ban. The judge, who had earlier hinted that she might impose a higher sentence than that, in the end decided on six years and an eight-year driving ban. That it will never bring Spencer back. Um, it's, it's something. Eight years would have been better. Um, after this, I'll be advocating. As far as hitting him on the road, I take full responsibility for killing him. You know, I was friends with this guy since I was in elementary school. So... No, it's not easy. If anybody thinks it's easy for me, it's not. I just want to say sorry to the Moore family once more. And, you know, I'm, today's the first day of the rest of my life. I'm going to make the best of it in jail and take my medicine, pay my dues. Think he'll drink and drive again? Never, no. Moving forward, Moore's loved ones say they will continue their fight to educate others on the deadly consequences of impaired driving. An inquest has been called into the death of an Abbotsford man who was denied medical care in Saskatchewan. Surveillance video shows a distressed Samuel Uko being forcibly removed from a Regina hospital after he failed to provide proper identification. Uko was dropped off at the hospital by police after being diagnosed with depression by a mental health clinic in the city. Earlier that morning, Uko's cousin tried to admit him into the ER, but they were turned away due to COVID-19 restrictions. Uko's body was found later in the day. An inquest into the circumstances leading to his death will take place September 20th. Coming up, a blunt appeal from Alberta's premier. For the love of God, please get vaccinated now. The province offers a new incentive to the unvaccinated. Also ahead, Canada at a crucial moment in the fight against COVID-19. 
Good evening. There's a slow-moving semi here causing some minor delays for northbound traffic at the Alex Fraser Bridge. It's currently at about mid-span in the far right lane. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. New national COVID-19 modeling shows Canada could see as many as 15,000 new cases of COVID per day by the end of the month if vaccination rates don't increase and more restrictions are not imposed. As Global's Jamie Morocco reports, the window to bend the curve is narrowing and it will be the unvaccinated who bear the brunt of the infections. Canada's top doctor says we are at a crucial moment. We have a small window of opportunity to slow the rapidly spreading Delta variant, which will likely accelerate as Canadians head back indoors and kids head off to school. New data from our public health agency reveals what most experts have been saying for weeks. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. COVID cases are 12 times higher in those who don't have a shot versus Canadians who do. Without more people getting a double dose, experts anticipate a steep rise in cases. Modeling estimates more than 15,000 cases a day in the coming weeks. Dr. Teresa Tam says this vaccine push has to happen largely in the 18 to 39 year old age group because their vaccination rates are lower and they're more mobile. We're looking at um, certainly over 80% coverage in that eligible population as fast as possible. By as fast as possible, I do mean like, you know, I would love that to be done by Labor Day. And but, you know, we've only got a few few days left, but um, as fast as possible after that. 77 percent of all eligible Canadians have been vaccinated, but that number is actually lower in the suggested age group at 63 percent without pushing that vaccination rate up. Experts say that lockdowns and rollbacks to previous stages are not off the table. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. Well, fresh off their first debate, the federal leaders wasted no time getting back out on the campaign trail. And while each focused on key issues for Canadians, that new modeling is showing what a fourth wave could look like stole the spotlight last night. Miranda Anthistle has more. It does not matter where you vote. You can vote for me or not. I don't care. I want you to get vaccinated. On the heels of new federal modeling data warning of an unprecedented fourth wave, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is making an impassioned, nonpartisan appeal to young people. On vaccination, we all agree. There is no divide here. Singh was in Quebec releasing his party's platform for the province where the NDP won just a single seat in the 2019 election. He's promising bigger health transfers, but wouldn't say whether the funding would be unconditional. Quebec would always have the right to withdraw from those programs, but there's specific programs that we believe if we work together, we could deliver and it would be in everyone's benefit. Remaining in Montreal after the first leaders' debate, the Conservatives focused on gun and gang violence, promising to develop programs to keep youth out of gangs, to help those in them exit successfully, and to work with American allies to crack down on illegal gun smuggling. And we will impose a mandatory minimum sentence of two years for the unauthorized possession of a firearm if the person was the subject of a prohibition order or previously convicted of a firearms-related offence. 
When questioned, Tory leader Erin O'Toole is also promising to maintain the ban on assault weapons, contradicting what is written in his platform. Meanwhile, the Liberals made a brief stop in Mississauga, where leader Justin Trudeau made a point to say that Ontario Premier Doug Ford had finally stepped up by announcing a vaccine passport system. Trudeau came under fire in Thursday night's debate for calling an election as Canada entered a fourth wave and faced more questions on that decision from journalists as well. And as we saw last night, the differences between the different parties are stark and clear. And therefore, I am fully confident that Canadians will not choose to take Canada back, but choose instead to move forward for everyone. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. Alberta is reinstating a province-wide mask mandate for most indoor public spaces and workspaces to combat the fourth pandemic wave. All bars, restaurants and pubs will stop liquor sales at 10 p.m. And the province is offering a financial incentive to those not yet vaccinated. If you just haven't gotten around to it, for the love of God, please get vaccinated now. And if you do, we will now pay you $100. Today, we are announcing that Alberta will be the first province to offer a uh, personal monetary incentive to step up and do the right thing. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney saying soaring cases fueled by the Delta variant are threatening to swamp hospitals once again, with most patients being unvaccinated. Just ahead, BC's first major music festival of the pandemic era about to hit the stage this weekend. I'm just really excited to see them play music again. It's been a while. With thousands of people expected, how organizers plan to keep things COVID safe. And later. I still have faith in you. The dream team together again. ABBA's new album and the unexpected twist to their upcoming concert. Unbelievable scene in New York City. Events that shocked us. Secret data collection. Technology that changed us. I think it's fake news. It was fake news. A possible epidemic. Disruption. 20 years of Global National. Friday, September 10th at 10 on Global. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A Comox Valley big box store had a surprise visitor this week. Lots of perks. I don't know if we help that's right, and no kidding around with this customer at the Winners in Courtney Thursday evening. Sisters Karis and Kyla Kordick were shopping with their mom when they ran into this guy perusing the purses. At first they thought it was a large dog, but it was actually Billy the goat. Yes, he's called Billy. After a short walk in the aisle, a man led Billy out of the store. Little retail therapy for Billy. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look uh, at our forecast. Everyone loves a little retail therapy. Um, nice, uh, absolutely nice way to end the week, Christy. There will be a change, but it's sort of fitting for the last weekend of the peony. <laughs> That's exactly right. So if you haven't been able to get out to the Peony yet, I urge you to do so. This is the last weekend. It'll be open Saturday, Sunday, and Monday from 11 to 11. Now, don't forget, new COVID protocols means that you have to book your tickets ahead of time at peony.ca, but it's very easy to do so. So get out there and enjoy. And don't forget, this is also your last weekend to purchase Peony Prize home tickets, which the final day will be on Labor Day. So get out there and get your tickets. Uh, we will be... Uh, 
uh, actually doing the draw live on Monday, September 13th. So you can tune in with us uh, then to see if you won the big prize. All right, let's have a look. It was uh, fairly nice today despite some cloud cover. Temperatures warmed up. We saw 24 degrees in Metro Vancouver, which is certainly above seasonal for this time of year. That's not going to be the case tomorrow, though. Here's a look at what's headed our way. So tomorrow morning, just a chance of showers, but Vancouver Island will certainly start to see the moisture. And for Metro Vancouver, the heavier rain expected later in the day, and it shifts into the interior regions late in the evening as well. Likely a few showers expected in the interior overnight. Sunday, things start to ease off, but still a little unsettled for coastal regions, especially if you're out through the Fraser Valley. So this is how much rainfall we could see by the end of the day on Sunday. Certainly the North Coast getting hit hardest with up to 80 millimeters potentially. Not very much for the interior regions, but cloud cover and some moisture certainly helps the situation. The problem is as the front pushes through, there is a chance for gusty winds tomorrow afternoon coming out of the southwest and they could see those gusts up to about 50 kilometers an hour. So certainly windy right across the province tomorrow from the Caribou region right down through the Okanagan Valley. Dry day for the Okanagan Valley. Again, that rainfall not expected until the evening or overnight hours. And for the south coast, we are certainly going to see the rainfall, but more likely towards the afternoon hours for Metro Vancouver. And it will linger on Sunday, Sophie, but I'm certainly am hoping for some breaks of blue sky towards at least the end of the day Sunday. For your holiday Monday, that looks to be the brightest, certainly. And of course, the kids head back to school on Tuesday. That day is also looking pretty nice. So uh, there is certainly some bright spots, at least through the weekend. And certainly you can head out to the Peony on Monday if you really don't like the rain. But don't forget, the Peony's great on uh, when on rainy days because there's very few people. All right, Qualicum Beach. This guy took a photo. Barry did from the beach. He said this guy climbed the pole with his book and stood there reading on top of the pole for quite some time. Whoa. Pretty incredible balance. So back to you. <laughs> no, no kidding. Hopefully he didn't fall in and get the book wet. All right. Thanks, Christy. The stadium will be at most half full and the weather might not be the best, but BC's first festival in a year and a half is getting set to kick off in Langford. And as Kylie Stanton reports, artists who have been cooped up just like the rest of us are almost giddy with anticipation. You don't hear me. You don't see me. You don't know. For the past year and a half, musicians have gotten used to this. No stage to perform on, no audience singing along. It's been like a test in patience for the last little while. But for the lineup of artists at the Always Home Festival, that's finally about to change. The wheels are in motion on BC's first major music event since the pandemic hit. A milestone of sorts that's difficult to put into words. Like this. I feel like this. It's good. (laughs) I'm driving. The two-day event will feature 14 acts from across the country and will be headlined by locals Jesse Roper and Current Swell. We have our stage set up at Half Field. It's been more than a year in the making, but after the province announced as of July 1st, outdoor events could allow up to 5,000 people, 
the festival officially had the green light. We've been setting up this festival under the step three of the restart guideline. We capped that about 4,500 people. We're expecting to see between 35 and four this weekend. Tickets will be available at the door and it'll be a great event. And it's a first for the Starlight Stadium. It's pretty exciting here in Langford, you know, finally to see a live concert here. Due to the pandemic, the new facility with capacity for 9,000 hasn't been able to really fulfill its potential. But Mayor Stu Young says this is a start. You know, to get the feel of it, so this is our first attempt at it, and we'll learn from that, so this is perfect for us. As for the artists, they've had more than enough time to practice. But if there's one thing to prepare for, it's this. That feeling when the crowd goes wild. I can't wait, it's the best. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Langford. That guy for sure has been, like, because he's had to stay at home during the <laughs> pandemic, he's been holding his own private concerts. I, I think I would just buy tickets just to watch him for, for an hour. He's getting well, great entertainment. He, he will be for sure this weekend. All right. Barry DeLay is in for Squire tonight. What do you have for us? Well, uh, the SFU football team will play its first game in newly, uh, nearly two years tomorrow. That's the good news. The bad news is their opponent is the Idaho Vandals, a Division I school. In my opinion, you know, there's, there's no better place than being be an underdog, you know. They get an A for optimism, but it could get messy tomorrow in Moscow, Idaho. And later, getting the band back together, the ABBA reunion, 35 years in the making. I have so many different ABBA songs stuck in my head right now, Barry. <laughs> well, you are the dancing queen. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. We'll talk about that later, but uh, first, you have sports. Yep, big uh, hockey news today, Soap. NHL players will be part of the Beijing Olympics next February after missing the last winter games in South Korea. Now, the tournament schedule isn't out yet, but the Olympics will go February 4th to 20th. Canada won the last two gold medals with NHL players taking part in Vancouver, of course, and Sochi. The NHL does reserve the right to pull out of the games as late as January if they deem them unsafe because of COVID-19. Now, Canucks, who could possibly be going? Bo Horvat for Team Canada, Elias Pettersson for Sweden, and four from Team USA, Hughes, Besser, Miller, and Demko. The Whitecaps are back at it tomorrow afternoon, 4 o'clock, BC Place, taking on expansion Austin FC. You can hear the game on AM 730. The Whitecaps are coming off an emotional 4-1 win last week, just two days after Mark DeSantos was fired as head coach. So the trick for interim coach Vanny Sartini is to make sure there's no letdown against the last place team in the West. I think the first thing, the work that we need to do is focus on what we have to do, focus on ourselves much more than themselves and try to to play uh, the best that we can and then trying to give that like 5%, 10% more because I it's it's a game that really can put, put up uh, uh, in the in the in the group of the playoffs. He really is the most cheerful coach in soccer, I believe. The uh, Simon Fraser football team returns to the field tomorrow afternoon for the first time since November of 2019 because COVID wiped out their entire 2020 season. They aren't exactly easing their way back in. Their opponent tomorrow is Division I Idaho Vandals. It is a massive mismatch, but it's still a game the players can't wait to play. The SFU football team has had about enough of practice. Yes, they are thankful that they're even back on the field after last season was wiped out, but it's been nearly two years between games. 
everyone just wants to get back to getting the pads popping, actually having it competitive because we've, we've been at each other's throats all, all camp. But it's been good competition, but uh, yeah, people just want to go out there and actually hit someone that's not wearing an SFU jersey. Wearing an SFU jersey hasn't been easy of late. The football program has lost 46 of its last 48 games played against U.S. competition. And on Saturday, they will play on the road against the Idaho Vandals, a Division I school. They literally have no chance to win, but don't tell them that. In my opinion, you know, there's, there's no better place than being be an underdog. You know, there's uh, no expectations for us. So, you know, we can come in guns a-blazing and just, you know, play devil's advocate and, you know, hopefully ruin the party for them. I'm always excited to play a Division One program, and I think that's the general consensus. It's a good test. I mean, all these guys think that they could have been D1 players. I, myself, could have thought if I was in a program like that, I could have shined. So it's exciting to really go and test yourself and see how you match up. Both Lowry and Evans have been with SFU the last five years, so yes, two wins over that span is not ideal, but the program is trying to rebuild and hopefully start seeing some success down the road. Well, it's about us. It's about us getting better. It's about us having the opportunity. And again, it's about what this program does as we get our chance to get out there and showcase our skills and improve from the last time we actually got out to be out in practice. Operated. There is nothing quite like night tennis in New York at the U.S. Open. Amazing atmosphere. Canada's Layla Annie Fernandez on the big stage. Under the bright lights at Arthur Ashe, taking on defending champ Naomi Osaka. Fernandez turns 19 on Monday. A win would be an awesome early birthday present. Nice start here. Drills the forehand winner. On serve in the first set. Up three games to two, but tied at five. Osaka steps it up. She will crush the forehand winner. Got the break and took the first set. Seven games to five. Now in the second set, Fernandez hanging tough. Wins a fantastic point here at the net. And her parents are all pumped up about that. She leads 4-3 in the second set. It went to a tie break. Fernandez played well, but Osaka just imploded. Got very frustrated after making all sorts of errors. Smashed the racket once. That was the replay of that. And another one. And... She would lose the tiebreak, so now Fernandez is up 4-2 in the third. Big upset brewing in New York. Also tonight, the other Canadian playing today, Felix Ojealiasin taking on Roberto Bautista Agut. A lot of names on this uh, match. Felix showing off his athleticism here, chases down the drop shot, and then finishes with the passing shot. Got the break and took the opening set. Six games to three. Now in the second set, Felix continues his solid play, sets up the point nicely, and then cracks the forehand winner. Took that set 6-4, but Batista Agut has just won the third, so they're early in the fourth set. And also a huge upset on the men's side. That is 18-year-old Spanish phenom Carlos Alcarez. It took him over four hours, but he takes out number three Stefanos Tsitsipas of Greece in a fifth set tiebreak. Keep your eye on Alcaraz. He is a rising star in tennis. And we'll finish with this. Kamloops' Greg Stewart, who won gold in shot put at the Paralympic Games earlier this week, returned home this morning from Japan to a family gathering at YVR. I didn't go out there to win a medal, right? I went out there to do my very best so that I could just be happy leaving. And ultimately, when I die, this will continue to be a medal but it's my legacy that I think that's going to carry on. And, uh, you know, if I can help and support people along that way, then that's, uh, that's what my legacy is going to look like. Yeah, he's seven foot two, was what? a basketball star at Thompson Rivers, volleyball star as well. So 
He is truly seven a giant. Foot two? Seven foot two. I'm five. And he's got two. a goal. Yeah, there, there's a bit of a difference. A little bit. All right. You and Squire are not in his. Uh, no. You don't shop at the same store. No. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> very right. much, Barry. I have been waiting for this day for decades. ABBA is back together. Never thought I would see this happen. That's up next. Well, as I said, I never thought this day would come. After nearly 40 years, ABBA is releasing a new album and in true trailblazing fashion, planning a virtual concert. Nearly half a century on, they're dancing again. Nothing says the 70s like ABBA. But now the band's in their 70s. A new album. After 40 years, it is absolutely incredible. And they've reunited. ABBA super fans! In a much-hyped live stream event, fans got a taste of the new album. And we need one It's less perky, more mellow, but unmistakably ABBA. Carl Magnus Palm is an ABBA biographer. They have all the money and fame in the world now. Why would they want to get back into the music scene? Only because they feel they have something valid to offer and because, you know, because, of, because it's fun. Interviewed in London, the two B's from ABBA, Benny and Bjorn, were more blunt. We didn't want to do it before we were dead. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> ABBA's asking fans to take a chance on a new show, too, in London, that will keep them alive and forever young as avatars. Based on the aging ABBA members, transformed by digital wizardry. It's an appeal to the worldwide passion for ABBA. Everyone likes a, a pretty tune, but what I mean is, you know, it's strong melodies, melodies you can hum, melodies that you can hear, you know, exactly. <laughs> ABBA addicts who love the old tunes will be hungry for the new ones too, the way they've embraced everything the band has ever done. The ABBA musical, Mamma Mia, launched here in London more than 20 years ago. And worldwide, 65 million people have seen it. And yet, day after day, there are still fans lining up to see the show, which just goes to prove that the appetite for all things ABBA remains pretty much insatiable. Elizabeth Palmer, CBS News, London. <laughs> I was dancing a little bit in my chair. She is. She's our dancing queen, as I said before. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Final word on the weather, Christy, for the long weekend. Sure. So it certainly starts off a little bit wet, especially tomorrow afternoon, but should be drier towards the end of the long weekend. Enjoy your last long weekend before school starts, kids. <laughs> See you later.